Bandwidth for September has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here in 5x5 and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. I'm recording. I'm recording as well. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. We recorded this episode on September 24th, 2015. This is On The Grid, episode 134. This week, On The Grid is brought to you by... Here we go. We're supposed to have a topical podcast tonight. I have written on a sticky note here, have a topical podcast for the first time in months. Oh, well, that's great. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, However, the one thing I can't allow to slip past us is this interaction that happened this week. I think Mm -hmm. Andy knows what I'm talking about, and I bet Dan might pick up on it, too. Dan happened to be at a meeting during this whole situation, and he really (laughs) missed out. I I believe I said in our Slack channel it was kind of like taking a nap during Haley's Comet. Uh, this This has been... I don't even know, years in the making for a moment like this to happen. For a moment like this. So friend of the show. You can just keep going. I'll just do this in the background. Background, right. I, I also like being able to say friend of the show. But friend of the show, Satchel Drakes, yep. tweets a photo to me. And he says, I just realized <laughs> you're wearing the same shirt as the guy my company uses in all of our profile design <laughs> mockups. And he tweets me a photo. Of none other than Mr. Andy Mangold. Hello. Wearing his famous, his famous internet stolen sweater from, probably from Urban Outfitters at some point, and it has a blue stripe and an orange stripe and a green stripe and a yellow stripe. And at some point in the last year, I photoshopped my head onto that photo and put it up as my Twitter profile, hoping that one day somebody would say, hey, isn't that the sweater that Andy was wearing in that photo? And then I get to be like, I don't don't know what you're talking about. It's just a sweater I have. You did this months ago. Months months and months and months ago. Yes. And I just let it sit there, and I was just hoping it would catch somebody at some point. And I was Uh, just hoping that the joke would wear off, and you would change it back to a picture of your torso instead of my torso with your head on it. No. And Andy, of course, has changed his picture since to some sort of him staying in front of flowers. Or he had a beard at a period of time to escape his past. Whatever it was. So Satchel Drake tweets this photo to me. And it turns out that he has absolutely no idea that this is Andy Mangold. <laughs> and, and mind you, they have met in person. This is not just internet friendship. We've all hung out together. I hugged him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets even better because... So this troll actually worked. Uh, I've been planning this for months. And it finally caught on. And not just an internet stranger, a friend of ours... And he goes on to say, after three years, I hate that guy with a standard face that works cross-platform. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's also really good that the first response to his tweet was me interjecting and saying, this is a joke, right? <laughs> and then he still did not get that it was me in the picture. Like, five or six tweets later, he was still like, wait, I don't get it. What am I missing? After I was like, this is a joke. This has to be a joke. And it wasn't a joke. Uh, so... I think what we're saying is, Andy, you have achieved that 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 modernist dream. Those those graphic designers that were working in the seventies and trying to create something so neutral that would work everywhere. You were just born that way. That's just what your face looks like. And you are the perfect neutral profile picture to the point where your friends can't even recognize you if you hold two pictures next to each other. You could commit any crime and you'd get away with it because you're just a stand-in for any other white person. There's so many good parts of it. The other really great part is that 
for years I've been wondering, like, who are these people that are just Googling the word profile picture and then putting my face in all of their mock-ups? And it turns out my friend Satchel is those people. Like, everyone at his company, the people that have been, some of the people that have been using my picture wantonly all the time. <laughs> Sir, did you see who committed that crime? I don't know. It could have been anyone. I don't know. Here's a, here's a composite drawing of him. It looks like everybody. That just looks like a blank piece of paper. I don't understand what you're showing me. <laughs> I need to get a face tattoo or something. Something distinctive. <laughs> Sorry. I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings, Andy. I think no, you're, it doesn't. you're a good-looking man, and you can grow a beard. Those things, will, you'll, you'll be just fine. I've but, long uh, accepted that I am exactly an average-looking person, and I should just <laughs> take that for what it's worth, because some people don't have that going for them. So I'm just going to go ahead and try and live my truth. Oh. <sighs> I don't know how we're going to not... I don't know how we're going to talk about normal stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I did really enjoy that whole thing that happened, Matt, but I have to say mm. I so much more enjoyed your joy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, when I retold the story to Hillary, I did not show her the Twitter conversations, but I did show her your Slack conversation where you were like, oh my God, oh my God, is this happening? Oh my God. And then it all caps, it's real, it's real, this is not a drill. Anyway. I'm glad Dan is enjoying it too. If you're a first time listener of the podcast, I'm very sorry. We don't usually do this where we recap our Twitter well, interactions with our friends. If we could do it every week, we would. It's just this is, this is the long con. This is one, we had to sit on this one for months. We can't just deliver results like this every week. Oh. We would be the top podcast in iTunes. Yeah. I, see, I don't think people are going to enjoy this as much as we do. This is like, this is like when We'd someone be the tells top a great podcast in my heart. Yep. Is, there you go. Yep. This is like when someone tells a great story about. They're like friends inside joke, and you're just like, wait, I don't, okay, that's not a thing that I care about. That very well could be true. But in that case, we're sorry, folks, but we had, there's no, it's just, it's irresistible. Yeah. Mm hmm. I hate that guy with his standard looking face. (laughs) Just worked cross platform. Hate him. You work well at small sizes. I I do work well at small Wow, that's, my, my business card. Tinder profile. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. So I'm staring at my uh, topical, topical podcast. Sticky note. Note. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was blocking your conversation for so long. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. Uh, you can edit this that whole first 14 minutes down to a tight three or four, right? No, this week, I think we should actually talk about ad blocking. We don't usually have topical episodes because I think oftentimes a few weeks later, they are meaningless and useless and we strive for the episodes to be somewhat evergreen. And uh, frankly, we get bored talking about topics and we'd rather just kind of shoot the shit. But I think this is something that I'm very interested to talk to you two about because this is kind of at the intersection of a lot of things that interest me a lot. Namely, the internet and uh, sort of systems that allow certain things to continue to exist and keep other things from existing and sort of how those sort of systems and communities work. And uh, basically, the new iOS operating system, which just was released to the public earlier this week, has uh, a built-in ability for people to build browser extensions and the, at least at this point, primary use of such a browser extension seems to be uh, content filtering to basically build ad blockers. Ad blockers are a thing we've had on desktop for a decade plus. 
Uh, basically, you can get a little <coughs> extension for Chrome or Safari or Firefox, whatever your sort of browser of choice is. Uh, I, I guess Internet Explorer. I don't know. And you can get a little extension that will basically, anytime the website you're on tries to load some content from another server somewhere, uh, it will keep that content from loading. Um, some of them work in all different ways. There's some where it will sort of display a box in the space where the ad would show up and you can click to make it appear because sometimes it blocks things that aren't ads by accident. Um, I have one called Ghostery, which allows you to see all of the trackers that are getting blocked, all the little sort of bits of uh, code that are running on other servers somewhere. And uh, you can whitelist specific ones or you can whitelist the whole website. It gives you a little more control over what you want to see. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, basically, this is coming to the iPhone, which is a dominant mobile web browser uh, a, a lot of companies mobile traffic has skyrocketed for many major websites it's surpassed their desktop traffic lots of people are browsing the web on their phones and there is a serious concern that this is going to very significantly impact the revenues that advertising based websites are going to be able to pull down uh, because if this is a thing that is accessible to everybody it's in the app store anyone can go and download it put it on their on their phone, all of a sudden they're blocking the ads and that website is being viewed. Their server is getting taxed with the challenge of loading that page and sending those assets to the person reading it, and yet they are getting no advertising revenue for it. So, uh, we should just start there. I'm curious to know if you two think this is a big deal before we go any further. Uh, a little bit, but not nearly to the degree that everybody's kicking and screaming about. Dan, is it a big deal? Yes or no? Um, for me in particular, yes, I think it's a bigger deal probably than what Matt sees it as. And Dan, I bet I know why. And Dan, are, you are working on a website. I don't really know the details of how Giant Bomb and other things run, but you are largely ad supported, correct? Uh, GameSpot is 100%, well, it, it's ad uh, supported. And then Giant Bomb, it's a mixture of both advertising as well as a subscription model for premium users. Uh, so okay. they have a little bit of a balance, but yeah. Yep. But you do have a lot of skin in the game, whereas Matt and I do not strictly have any skin in the game. Yes. We have a tiny bit of skin in the game, but podcast ads can't get blocked yet. Yeah. Yeah, our only, our only skin in the game is that we do have something collectively, this podcast, that is, you could say ad-supported, but it's not like, you know... It's, it's it not, wouldn't go away if you had to it's not, yeah. You can't shut you know, us To up. call it ad-supported is really generous, because, uh, you know, it's not like uh, <laughs> we have many expenses, first of all, which is nice. It's not like we have a ton of... Uh, server costs or anything that are being paid for by ads mm -hmm. um so we're really more the, the ads are really more something that encourages us to do it regularly to put out every single week and take it seriously and all, make it, it it's a little bit different than a whole business running on on ads right uh, especially whole giant businesses like major newspapers and major web media outlets we so, don't stress mm -hmm. about salaries that's for sure yes. so it's very different yes. exactly so i think in the this is a big deal bucket um, is you can put all that evidence of the fact that mobile mobile web browsing has skyrocketed and will probably continue to go up as mobile devices get even better and better. And we realized that actually no one really wanted to be at a computer the whole time. They just, that was the only way to access the internet. And now that people can do it on any device, so they can do it on their watch, they can do it on their phone or their tablet. That's how people would rather do it uh, more casually that way. So I think that increasing traffic, I don't see that going down anytime soon. So I think that's, that's a thing to consider. I think the major, the major check in the this might be a serious concern bin is what mobile Safari did to Flash, uh, which is to say it totally killed it. Um, 
for those of you that don't remember, Flash was a thing that used to be on websites all the time. Uh, video players were entirely built in Flash for a very long time. Some still run in Flash, shockingly. Uh, and lots of websites used to be built in Flash because some stupid designers sold it to people as a way to make a website that could move uh, back when the technology of making actual websites did not yet support that. Uh, and, and, and don't forget to mention that ads uh, were very largely run off of Flash. And actually, some ads are still run to that to this day. That's true. That is true. I so you have could... very recently delivered Flash banner ads. It's a, still a thing that goes on. Recently? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, my it's goodness. Still a thing. I am yep. shocked. I know. So basically, when the iPhone came out, uh, Apple put their foot down and said that we are not going to run Flash on this mobile phone because of all of the technical things we have to do. It's taxing on the system. It's going to drain battery life. All the reasons they chose not to allow Safari to run Flash. Uh, most people kind of see as the final nail in the coffin and the reason why Flash completely fell out of favor. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how it worked out, but I know that's kind of the perception, right? Um, yeah. Well, so, we should... Do, were we going to clarify what actually happened, though? Like, Flash went away, but the things Flash was doing didn't go away. Just the, the delivery mechanism went away. But, like, things that move, the content that was delivered, yeah, all the sure. things it was trying to do, those things didn't actually go away. We just found other ways to do them. Yes. The videos that we're playing... And we may, and we may come back to that, too. We, uh, we still watch the videos, we just watch them a different mm -hmm. way. Yeah, I think the important thing... The reason I think I, I can put that in the this may be a serious thing column is that there the decisions of a I mean usually I would say the decisions of a single company making a single or a very small number of devices in a single browser are not going to affect the web writ large mm -hmm. tremendously uh, but here is a situation where at the very least in terms of a specific technology there was a rippling effect of one company Apple saying no we're not putting a flash player on the stupid phone that it, it kind of demonstrates, I think, the the sway that that company has. Um, yeah. So them saying that ad blockers are a thing that we're going to have now uh, is kind of a big deal, maybe in that bucket. Yep. In the, this is probably not a very big deal bucket, we have the fact that ad blockers have been on the web forever, have been on desktop devices, again, for, for a very long time. They've been free. They've been fairly easy to access, fairly easy to install. It's not like you have to be some super nerd to figure it out. And this has not killed revenues of ad-based websites by people having things in their browsers, right? Yeah. This is going to be real meta because we're going to do ads on our show about ad blocking. Whoa. If you're ad blocking our podcast, all you're hearing right now is just white noise. <laughs> ad blocking our podcast is just hitting the stop button. <sighs> Wait, 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 wait. We're three white guys talking. Isn't it just white noise anyways? hey -o. Well, yep. These three white guys talking are brought to you by Media Temple. For years, Media Temple's grid service has been the web hosting choice for more designers, developers, and creative professionals than any other platform. That's because a single grid account can host anything from your portfolio site to a hundred different client projects, and the grid is ready for anything. You could put a website on Media Temple that's ad-supported. You could put a website on Media Temple that's not ad-supported. You could do whatever you want. It's a blank canvas. Go forth and make something good. Hundreds of servers work together to keep your site online, even if you suddenly hit the front page of Reddit and you're supporting a lot of ads. Yeah, all your ads will also stay online, assuming they're on Media Temple. Here's the problem. If the ads aren't on Media Temple, that page is going to take forever to load. Let's say you run a WordPress site, mm. a WordPress blog of some sort. Yes, great. Check out their new WordPress hosting product, as well as their launching of Google Apps for work. You don't want to set these things up manually. You just press a button on Media Temple and it gets set up for you. It's great. And... Virtual private server solutions are also available with their DV and DV developer hosting plans. 
so private. Welcome to my virtual private server. Come on in. They have a special discount for On The Grid listeners. Use the promo code OTG25 for 25% off their web hosting. You go to mediatemple.net and you enter the promo code upon sign up. Do the promo code thing, people. It really is, is good to do. That way, that that's our ad tracking. That's how we know the ad worked. Well, it's ad tracking, but you get to choose if we track you. We 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 give you money to let us track you. That's how important tracking is. Media Temple is willing to give you a discount so they can know how successful their advertising is. Thanks to Media Temple for supporting Five by Five and On the Grid. Media Temple. Everyone should host their ads there. Apparently. Actually, Dan, do you run an ad blocker? I do not. Never have. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I do, choice? Andy. I guess Andy and I do. Dan does not. Yep. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yep. Dan, is that an ethical choice or, or, or what? Uh, what it boils down to for me is that uh, in the past, I'd never it never really bothered me to have ads around uh, as much as it does with other people. Uh, really on just the shallow level, like there is a lot of the tracking stuff that people become much more concerned about. And that has been something that like I've tried to balance out with myself. Uh, but when I ended up, uh, working for a company that is largely like, uh, run off of ads, uh, that became more of a concern that, um, like this is paying everybody's bills and, and we're not the only company that goes to that. Therefore I'm actually okay with not using an ad blocker simply because there are human beings that I work with every day that make their, their rent or pay their rent, uh, thanks to stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's a bit conflicting, um, given that yeah. uh, some of the atrocious things that can happen through uh, tracking through advertising, uh, but at the same time, that that ends up being the balance. Sure. And I, I want to come back to the advertising versus tracking thing, because I think that's something that has gotten muddled in this conversation. Yes, very Not much so. our conversation, but the conversation writ large about this. I think that those things have gotten kind of conflated. But first, I, let's just dive into the ethical thing, because I want to kind of cover that ground and see how we come out on the other side, because... Uh, you can definitely, definitely make a very cogent argument for why it is pretty unethical to run an ad blocker, because basically, on a very simple level, uh, you are basically forcing somebody to give you their website uh, by going to their URL. They're going to send you the web page. Their server is going to be taxed a very little amount to mm-hmm. actually give you those assets to load the page in your browser. And the advertiser who has paid to put ads on the website uh, their thing is going to be blocked, meaning that it's not going to register as an impression for their ad creating revenue. So if they're, uh, they sell their ads based on impressions, uh, you are taking, again, some very small amount of money out of their pocket. So the same small amount of money you are taking to have that page be loaded on your computer, that same small money is also not coming in on the sort of ad side. So you are yeah. basically slowly leeching things away from that, from that website. Mm-hmm. Um, so that to me is the, is the very obvious ethical argument. I, I've heard some people argue that like, you know, what doesn't make sense to me is arguing that the ads are effective, right? Like that, that's something it's kind of, that, that's one of the ways I justify it to myself is like web advertising has, and again, this is a thing that you can't really say. As, as far as I can tell, uh, web advertising has never worked on me. I've never seen mm-hmm. an advertisement for a thing that I ended up owning. It's always just this other shit that I never want and never will have and never end up having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not like the actual complete cycle of that value is working, right? Like the advertiser, even if they end up paying the publisher, 
for my impression, uh, they are not making the money back from me. They're making the money back from somebody else uh, yeah. because I'm not buying those things again ever as far as I can remember. And you could make all sorts of arguments about how advertising is not about directly buying something. It's about establishing a brand and remembering something for some other whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically, like, I think about ad blocking as like, if you're reading a magazine, you just skip the page that has the ads on it, right? Like, like I, I wonder if people that feel an ethical obligation to not have an ad blocker also feel an ethical obligation to look at the ads and to consider them and to consider patronizing the websites of the people that have decided to advertise because certainly an increase in traffic through a banner ad or increase in conversions or sales through a banner ad is going to drive up the prices that that uh, publisher is going to be able to demand for those impressions. So mm -hmm. like, where do, where do you draw the line, I guess, if, if you if this is an ethical thing, like how much do you have to do before you're okay with it? It ends up being a little bit more complex, too, because uh, when the discussion happens around ad blocking, it kind of consolidates all different kinds of ads into just like, this is all terrible shit on a website. And um, there's different, there's just there's different kinds that I think people don't tend to consider. There are the like the sleazy ones that do all the tracking, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but then there's also ones that actually reflect more of a stance or usage uh, from other media outlets like radio or television. Uh, like an example that I can give is that Activision could come to GameSpot and say, hey, we want to be able to do a takeover uh, for Destiny. Like there's a, a release for it coming out soon. So we want to be able to have more exposure, which is what you're talking about, which is a bit more indirect. Uh, but at the end of the day, like everything is still an ad. So when you run an ad blocker, you're not only taking yeah. away like things that are a bit more sleazy, but you're also taking away things that actually have an intent and actually have a correlation with, you know, the the site that you're visiting. So yeah, yeah. and I want to come back to that, but my my yeah. question still stands, which is that if for you, and I I don't mean to make this so direct and like a hard question to put you on the spot, Dan. Yeah, yeah. But I I really am curious, like knowing full well that if you were to actually take time and to read all the ads and to click through to all the websites and to figure out if these are things you actually want to purchase, mm -hmm. knowing that that would also benefit these publishers who you've decided it is your duty to benefit if you're going to be visiting their website, how much of that do you feel obligated to do or do you feel an obligation to do it? If not, how do you justify not reading the ads if that's the whole value to the advertisers well it, it that's why it still ends up being a bit complex because there could be a banner ad for something i'm already knowledgeable knowledgeable about like if there's a game like i'm using a lot of examples for games because i work for a gaming website if there's a game I think that's acceptable yes uh so if there's a an ad for a game that i know is coming out i've already read up on it and everything but i it it's just another reminder for me that it's coming out almost like a commercial in the middle of a television show like it's just going to make me aware of it right then that doesn't necessarily mean for me that i have to click through and read more about it because i probably already know quite a bit about it uh, if there was something that I was curious about and like I felt comfortable in this situation to click it, uh, like I don't think I would be necessarily against it, but I don't feel ethically like it's my duty to uh, go through and click all the different ads, especially when those are supposed to be secondary to the content of whatever the thing is that you're trying to consume. So it's just a distraction of, of somebody's attention span. So Sure. Yeah. And I think that most advertisers would probably make the case that it is, of course, not your duty to click on the ads. It's their duty to make you want to click on them and to make them grab your attention. And mm -hmm. if they're not doing that, then they're doing their job wrong or whatever. Um, I, I was just curious to kind of touch that. And I, I, I guess, you know, the, the, other, the other thing for me, I just feel 
obligated to justify what I have already labeled as pretty clearly somewhat unethical behavior. <laughs> the, the other reason that I, I think I feel okay doing it is that there isn't any one or two or three uh, ad-supported websites that I really visit regularly and get value from. Uh, like it's not like I go to the New York Times every single morning and read all the headlines and that's like my morning routine. Uh, you know, I end up at these websites because I click the link on Twitter and it's not like the one I probably end up most at, the website I probably visit the most that's ad-supported is, is probably BuzzFeed. Um, I end up clicking on the most BuzzFeed links and maybe reading some of those articles. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't feel a particular, like I wouldn't have the equivalent of a subscription to the New York Times or to uh, the All or to the Source or some other sort of website because I'm just not reading them that often, which is another way I sort of justify it. Uh, Matt, where does this land ethically for you? There's a good reason to have a moral problem with it, but it's kind of like the moral equivalent to jaywalking or something where like, yeah, it's not great, but I'll do it. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me so much that I won't do it. I can acknowledge well, that there's a problem with it, but yeah, yeah, it's not going to stop me from doing it. I get you. And you say it's, it's basically kind of like a trivial thing, but I think it's, yeah. like, it's important to me because like jaywalking, which I do all the time uh, as a proud East Coaster, it, that to me, like that law exists to both keep me safe and to keep traffic uninterrupted. Yeah. But I can take my own safety into my own hands. Thank you, laws. Uh, and I will never walk in front of a car to sort of disrupt, disrupt traffic. I'm very sort of aware of that. So I have no problem breaking that law because I understand the context in which it exists and I understand. But you're totally okay interrupting the traffic of a website. That's what you're saying. Well, so I'm, I'm saying I'm saying that to <laughs> me, jaywalking is something you can justifiably do if you do it right. Uh, and the reason the law exists is because very few people do it right. Um, and ad blocking is something I cannot justify in that way. I have no explanation other than I don't feel like ads work on me and I don't well, visit could, a website you could enough do to feel it, guilty enough. You could feel like you do it right in quotes if you say like, okay, here's a website I go to, but I know they're doing something scummy and I'm going to block them because I think it's, I think they're being unethical. Whereas here's another site I visit. I go to the New York times and I whitelist them and I think they're not being unethical. Yeah. So I'm making a choice myself about this. There are a very small handful of websites I do have whitelisted. Um, and in order to get whitelisted by me, you have to both be a company who I want to support and continue to see existing. And you mm -hmm. also have to be a company that doesn't put an insane amount of tracking bullshit on your website uh the one, one i can think of right now is npr i definitely have npr whitelisted because yeah i love npr and they don't put that much shit on their website and it doesn't start on the page and so great um but yeah like, i i do think that it's kind of like a death by a ten thousand paper cut sort of situation where the thing that i think you and i are doing matt is just pretty clearly a little bit, a tiny little it's bit like a wrong. Little bit, yeah, it's a little bit wrong, and but it's not so, so wrong that a little it feels bit wrong bad. That like any any one person's not going to be like, I sunk the New York Times. Uh, but at the end of the day, if 15 million people are all feeling that little tiny itty bitty voice <laughs> of maybe it's a little bit wrong, but it's not that wrong, that is what actually sinks the New York Times, right? Like, yeah, uh, by by our collective uh, sort of distribution of the guilt of something, uh, each of us only takes a little bit of that actual. Um, actual punishment and we so, also i we're of the generation that lived through like napster and stuff that completely destroyed the music industry yes. and i feel less bad about this than i do about that so it's like you know there's part there's part of our generation that could just 
I don't know. There's there's kind of like we just love fucking up whole industries. We'll just do you know it. what I mean. Yeah. There's there's part of me that just thinks like, well, I guess you got to catch up, and if you don't catch up, that's your fault. And in reality, yeah, like, I mean that that is the you know uh, you know it's not fun like admitting that the guy from Metallica was right, but like people were stealing from him. He just looked like an old man, and it was fun to make fun of him. But yeah, people should be paid for their stuff. Yeah, and then the ads <laughs> that you just described of the if you don't catch up, you'll be left behind. That is something that is very much championed by the startup culture and the San mm. Francisco culture. Uh, the Travis Kalanicks of the world are like, we're just going to eat everyone's brunch, and if they can't figure it out before we're done, then sucks to be them. Um, and I, I think that is, to me, that's basically anarchy, right? Like, <laughs> like laws exist for a reason. Stealing people's <laughs> stuff is not exist for a reason. Before we had laws, I'm sure it was like, well, if I can steal this guy's uh, cattle... Uh, and he doesn't catch me, then it sucks to be him. I'm really good at stealing cattle. I guess I should get to win. Uh, and what we basically <laughs> agreed when we sort of set out and made a civilization was that, hey, maybe we should all agree to abide by certain rules. That way we don't have to <laughs> all be constantly competing with each other for everything. We can actually have some semblance of coexistence. Mm-hmm. And that may sound dramatic to sort of equate that to ad blocking. Yeah. But uh, if I'm honest with myself, I think it is the same thing, just on a slightly different scale. But when you take it to the scale of the top app in the app store, all of a sudden, that's a very serious scale. That's something that actually does have some impact. Yeah, so, yeah. and something that uh, I think, like we were talking about the Napster thing, uh, I think the thing that doesn't really connect with people is that they go to the site for free. If they use an ad blocker, this, they could still visit the site for free. Where like with Napster, it was a choice of either purchasing the music or just downloading it. So like this, right. this is the sort of thing well, where like the guilt feels quite a bit smaller because like there's no direct impact on somebody's wallet where with stuff like Napster and other things of the past, like did and people ended up saving money technically. Well, I, I do think that it's actually very similar because I think people's attitude towards music is that it is free. I can hear it on the radio. My friend can play it for me. I can listen to it in a myriad of ways that I don't have to pay for. So oh, why do I have to pay for this weird invisible digital file? I can't touch or feel like, People always understood that stealing like a, a vinyl record or like a physical CD was wrong because that's a thing that had to be manufactured. But mm. when it's this weird, invisible thing, uh, I think that that was very much what made Napster feel okay to so many people. It was just like, oh, it's just music. Like, I turn on this box with a knob and there's just music that comes out of it. Like, music is just a thing that's around. Mm, that's and you don't point. take someone point. else's music away. It's a copy. It's just exactly. copying, yeah. copying, copying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a big, it's a big difference uh mental like it's a it's an easier mental hurdle to get over when someone else doesn't lose their thing you just gain your thing which i think is actually very similar to the attitude of i just open this laptop and look there's websites there it's great they're just there it's free for me to look at them yeah Uh, and people don't have as sort of direct a relationship with advertising obviously as they do with making a commercial purchase as they do with subscribing to the new york times or giving to someone's patreon or something that's a very like I choose to do this, whereas advertising is this passive way of supporting something just by going there with your eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my defense earlier, which I will now point out as bullshit, of I don't go to any one website every single morning as part of a ritual. It's not like I'm going to these websites all the time. Most of those websites don't exist on a foundation of those people. They exist on a foundation of we had some story hit Twitter and go crazy viral and got 50 bazillion views on it, and that's going to pay the bills for the next two weeks and those are not people that have a ritual, right? Those are ultimately right. the minority. <laughs> yeah. You said you click on a lot of BuzzFeed links. That's kind of the BuzzFeed model. So we can have a whole other podcast about BuzzFeed's model because I think BuzzFeed's the greatest and everyone puts them in a poor 
light. But, uh, but yeah, so I, like, I'm still part of the problem, and I admit that. And I think another reason I've been able to justify it to myself is that even though on a desktop computer and a desktop web browser, it's been very mm-hmm. easy to get ad blockers, most people don't do it. So I'm like, okay, well, most people don't do it. Uh, if, as long as this is a thing that most people don't do, I can be over here in this minority. I'm not going to be sinking anybody's ship because it's just me and minority friends that know what trackers and ad blockers are that are turning these things off. So it'll be fine. Yeah. Well, Andy uh, doesn't replace the coffee at work. Someone's going to come do it for him at some point. So Matt, I'm feeling as though the banner ads I've been designing have gotten kind of predictable and dry, and I really want to mix it up a little bit. You're saying you need some sort of content. I need something else because what I got in my own head is not cutting it. So for whatever you're creating, there's no better resource than Pond5. From video clips and After Effects templates to music, sound effects, and stock photos, Andy. You yeah. Stock photos. Well, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking videos now. I'm thinking I'm putting a video in oh, my banner. Oh, I like that. Ad. Yeah, you can, you can get an After Effects template ready to make the video, and then you can fill it with stock footage. That sounds great. Man, stock <laughs> video full of stock photos. This is, this is going to be beautiful. Pond5 has all the media you need to perfect your project and stick to your budget. Here's their thing. You can be like the band Ratatat and make a great music video from stock photos and footage. But my point is that Pond5 is available for all sorts of creative uses. You don't have to just go stick a picture of like a doctor with an iPad on your website. You can get creative with it. Not only that, Pond5 has some of the highest payouts in the industry, meaning you always find the highest quality and most diverse content. And you know that that doctor with the iPad is getting paid well. And it's royalty free, so you don't have to worry about it after you buy it. That way, when your video, music video you make goes viral, you're not going to be stuck with a big bill. It's fast and affordable, and even more so with this exclusive code for 25% off your next purchase. Visit Pond5.com and enter On The Grid at checkout. Do it. So thank you to Pond5 for supporting 5x5 and On The Grid. Pond5. Way better than those first four pawns. I want to get to the meat of the conversation, which is that the actual reason I block ads is not because ads annoy me and I want them to be gone, uh, which I think is what most people perceive ad blocking to be. It's like, oh, you just don't want to see those things. And it, that's not the reason I block them either. I bet no, you block them exactly. for the same reason. Especially on the web, for me, I've gotten very good at just not seeing them. Like, I can feel like I can visually just by like the composition and the color is pick out an ad from 200 yards away. Uh, like, it's it, they're so easy to sort of skip right by. And I've gotten so good as being someone spent so much time on the internet just scanning a page and finding the thing I want to see, that it's not like that's really going to interfere with, with my life. Uh, the reason I actually block ads uh, is for first page load times, uh, which is to say that it has become very much in vogue for every single website to put literally and sometimes hundreds of different scripts that are calling different servers to load the page. And in some cases, uh, many of these scripts are loaded on the page before the content itself loads, meaning that you basically have to wait for a little piece of a website to load from 50 different servers before the piece of the website that has the paragraph you want to read in it is going to load. Uh, So page load times is huge. Uh, That to me is such a shitty practice. And I basically shut that down because I want to read the thing I want to read or view the thing I want to view. I don't want the page to load for 45 minutes while it spins up all the different servers in Germany and Arizona and wherever. Um, So page load times is big for me. And the other thing is privacy. We've talked about, we've mentioned the fact that a lot of these things are not ads strictly. Uh, They are some sort of weird 
passive vile tracking device. Uh, and you know, I've read enough about those things. I know, I know enough about the technology to be legitimately creeped out by it and to block those things on the websites. So I guess for me, the real reason when you weigh the small ding to all these websites I visit, all these ad supported websites that I visit have this small ding in their income because they're not getting my impression for their ads. Uh, when you weigh that negative, which I can say is justifiably and pretty thoroughly a negative against all of that other shit, against every page taking four more seconds to load and against more importantly, my privacy being slowly eroded. Uh, for me, it's, it's a no brainer. Like I'm, I'm going to take the privacy uh, and basically adopt the attitude of my privacy is important enough to me that this other system is broken and not working. And I'm going to have to check out of it until you figure out a way to fix that system because Well, you're not checking not okay. out of it. You're going to modify the system until somebody fixes it. I am basically checking out of it. I think there are... No, no, no. Checking out would be not going to the pages. Yes. It would not be not using it. You're not checking out. Yeah. I mean, you're I'm trying to modify their system. I mean, I'm checking out of the advertising system. I'm, I'm not checking out of the internet. I'm saying the way you are doing ads, where you put 96 trackers on the page and where the Facebook button uh, knows I'm signed in and sends mm -hmm. information mm -hmm. back to Facebook about the websites I visit that are not Facebook, uh, that is not okay. And that's what I'm checking out of. Um, there's like, I only have like two or three whitelisted websites and I think one or two trackers that are whitelisted. I can't remember which ones. Yeah. Like I, I'm basically completely ghosted, uh, on, on the internet because of those reasons. And it, it, like, that's what it comes down to for me is like, everything is so messed up over there that I, I feel justified in stepping out and saying, you know, basically sometimes I think that the you need to catch up solution before you're going to get anything out of me is an okay model. And I think where we're at with privacy on the web right now, that to me seems like a no brainer. Yeah. I, Cause I think if we go back to the flash example for a second, like everything had to change in order for things to kind of get better on the web. Mm -hmm. uh, in the, like, I think it's, it's very similar in a lot of mobile design where <laughs> you have to cut a lot of fat and stay honest because you have to fit all the content on a small screen. Like, is this just the necessary evil to get us to a better place to get people to stop committing these I horrible so. well, yeah, <laughs> atrocities? Well, and those, I hope so. But those are also two different scales too. Like if you're talking about Flash, we're talking about like a, a file format that was used as a delivery system for these sorts of experiences or whatever the hell you want to call them. But with this, we're talking about an entire industry. So like we're talking about the advertising industry on mm -hmm. the web. And even though it, I, I definitely believe that there's a lot that needs to be changed, that's also a larger scale change that one might take a little bit longer, but two might have a bigger impact because people have their entire, you know, like careers and, and such wrapped around this. So to say that it's going to have an impact, it, like it's going to have a huge impact. And the thing that I become concerned about is like, I think it's good for us to move forward, but what's going to happen based off of that and how quickly and how largely that could happen is something that, might be like that would that's where i would have concern dan i don't think the scale is that different like it's, there's definitely more things that are entirely supported by ads but there were certainly whole very large consulting companies that were supported just by making flash websites and entire careers of people that were just dedicated to learning action script and writing flash and 
It's not like those people just blinked out of existence and became completely unemployable. Like they adapted and they learned. And those consulting companies that were building flash websites for every single major brand in the entire planet uh, also adapted and learned when this sort of thing fell out of favor. So I don't think it's like... But but there's also Go ahead. there's there's two parts of it though there's the the folks who make the advertising and those who are within the industry but then there's folks on the other side that uh, their the income for their business is based off of those ads as well and we're, when we're talking about ad blocking we're talking about uh, things happening both in the industry and and for like these ad driven websites so when both of those sides are affected it does become a different scale than with Flash, where there were consultancies and people wrapped around that who also could learn other skills like JavaScript and some of the other complementary languages. Um, So it's just, it's still a bit different. Well, but I mean, I mean, I don't know that it is different. I think it's slightly magnified because I mean, every single company that had a Flash website when the iPhone came out saw a steep drop off in visits or whatever, right? Like the, the whole reason that that thing had to change is that every single company was using a flash website because it led them to have music and animations and movement. And then it became a serious problem for them running their business and the website performing the function it's supposed to perform. So everybody had to change. So I'm just saying that it's not as though sweeping change can't happen in an industry and in specific companies that are in that industry. I think that's maybe what we need in, in these sort of ad blocking and ads. What it, what it comes down to for me is the sort of simple fact that Ad blockers don't know what ads are. They're not blocking ads. Like, they have no idea what an advertisement is. They can't magically read content and figure out what's going on. And there's still some types of advertising that are not blocked by ad blockers, like sponsored posts on someone's blog. As terrible as that shit is, it's mm-hmm. not blocked by an ad blocker. So I think the name ad blocker is, is kind of, it's not accurate. It's named that way because it allows normal people to understand basically what's happening, what the sort of end result will be to them. What they're really doing is blocking content loaded in a certain way. And that is what I have a problem with. I don't have a problem with advertising. And if you advertise in a way that loads the content that's not doing shitty things and tracking me, uh, then great. Like, that's what I think. That's the change I think we need. So in some ways, yes. But in other ways, aren't we just building... The the, the thing that seems somewhat worrying is are we just building a world of secret advertisements because yeah that's a good point like in the world before ad blocking and internet ads that are trackable uh there's not really an issue with making it very clear that something is an advertisement and in fact we people seem to appreciate it right like even even simple stuff like podcast ads there has been a lot of talk about how to do it how to frame it when it's coming out of a person's mouth whether it sounds like their endorsement do you give some sort of cue that it's always an advertisement? I think that I think people actually have that expectation that an ad is called out and is meant to be different than content. Uh, if a like if a company like Twitter all of a sudden stopped like having a little icon next to ads in your feed, I think you get very upset. So I think that actually is an important thing. Oh, certainly. Are we just forcing people to to hide what uh, basically sponsored posts, things like that? Are we saying, well, if you make it obvious, we're going to find ways to block it? So you have to make it not obvious or well but i think that through the methods of those advertising widgets and trackers you're able to do an even more insidious and secret type of advertising which is the i know you looked at this product on a different website and now i'm going to show it to you on these 20 other websites like i don't think that the secrecy and the ethics of the advertisement itself are necessarily tied to the technology um like i think there's plenty of examples of 
in-stream advertising, like Twitter's advertising, like sponsored posts that are clearly labeled, uh, like the ads we do on this show, which I hope no one has any confusion about what is and is not an ad. Uh, there's ways to do it that are ethical and above board, and there's ways to do it that are weird and sneaky and strange. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's tied to the technology. I think you can also do shitty, weird, sneaky things with the technology or without it. It's not tied to the technology, but it could be... The results could be different because of this technology. Because of the ad-blocking technology? Yes. I, I don't know. I guess I'm not sold on it. Um, like, I, I'm, I would embrace more interesting ways to put advertisements in things. I don't think that necessarily invites sneakiness. Uh, and more importantly, I would embrace more interesting ways of trying to figure out how to support things like the New York Times that are not necessarily advertising. Right. Um, which is kind of the bigger direction I almost want to go with this conversation is just that advertising to me, I, sometimes I wonder if all advertising is broken and we just happen to live through the, I don't know what, uh, like a hundred years where advertising made sense briefly and maybe in the future will make no sense. And mm-hmm. prior to that, it made no sense. And it was just this weird little blip uh, on the sort of grand scope of the human existence. Um, like I, I just wonder if because the internet has taken us in some ways back to this like weirdly tribal existence, uh, not to get all Marshall McLuhan-y, but like, you know, the idea that you have this direct connection with so many other people and you don't necessarily have to rely on all sorts of weird social hierarchies and rely on sort of happenstance to sort of come across things and sort of communicate and understand ideas. Um, maybe the, like, I guess the perfect example is before the internet, I don't know if I would have had the luxury of being somebody that I, I feel is so unaffected by ads. Like if I ever want to buy something, I research the shit out of it all over the place to try and learn every piece of information I possibly can about all of my various options, which is how I end up ordering a utility sink from a commercial kitchen supply website because I found this was the best utility sink that would actually last forever in my basement, which that company is never going to dream of advertising on any website ever because they sell to commercial kitchens. Uh, I am not their target audience, and yet, thanks to the internet, I found this thing, and I bought it, and it's sitting downstairs, and I have to put it together, and it's very complicated. But... This would not be possible without the internet. Like, in if I was a kid in the 50s, I would have to rely on whatever was being advertised to me because that's all I would know. So I'm wondering if, you know, the sort of advent of broadcasting, first on the radio and then through television, that was like the perfect moment for advertising. Now we can reach a bunch of people, but they can't reach out to anybody else. This is not an interactive medium. We are just broadcasting to them. This is the perfect place for us to have a whole industry built around telling people about products in interesting ways. And now we're trying to jam that into the internet, which is this new thing, which allows people to sort of cross all the streams and communicate with everybody else in all different ways and have this big community for every single mm-hmm. little tiny thing. And we're still trying to just yell at people about what they should buy, uh, which I, I mean, I'm sure you'll, you could find lots of great examples and people that are better at advertising than I am can probably tell you how important it is to running a product or how how successful certain internet ad agencies are, but I, I still have that nagging question. Uh, like, I feel like advertising is so ineffective on me yeah. and most of my friends and peers. And I wonder if when, like, the generation... if When the norm, when, like, our generation is old and the norm is that you grew up on the internet and it's no longer kind of a weird exception, I wonder if it's just going to basically blink out of existence, if there'll be no value left in it. Do you... It's, it's an interesting idea... But the just the general idea of advertising, uh, I don't think that ever goes away. It's just like the degree 
and how you choose to do it. Like, there's always going to be somebody who makes a thing and then wonders, how do I tell the world about this thing? I think it's really great. You, we've all been in that situation all the yeah. time. And I mean, I, I can, t- so here's, here's what I can tell you anecdotally. Uh, we have tried advertising in, mm-hmm. in a couple of different ways for day's work, and we have failed miserably. Maybe because we're very bad at it. Maybe because advertising is broken. Maybe because of whatever reason. Uh, the things we have made that are most popular are the things that we never tried to advertise at all. And in some cases, things that we didn't even want to be successful and barely even told anybody about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my anecdotal experience has been that success and your efforts to tell people about it are not linked at all. Like, it's just <laughs> like you make a thing and it's either successful or not. And you can spend a whole bunch of money and time to try and put it on life support and try and get people to use it and do whatever. Uh, but that's not any guarantee of success. And I think maybe prior to the internet, that was maybe the only metric. Like, there's all sorts of examples of people selling shitty, shitty products. Like, what is the pet rock, if not a success of advertising, right? Mm. Someone basically sold rocks to people (laughs) (laughs) because they put it in a clever context and were able to reach people in a certain way. Uh, I don't think that would ever work in 2015. Like, who's going to be able to pull off a pet rock? I mean, the closest thing is like, you know, the magic bullet and all this shit on uh, like home shopping networks, which are basically as useful as rocks. People just don't realize it until it breaks two weeks in. Well, we don't have the pet rock, but we do have the funding potato salad. Yes. People still will do yeah. ridiculous things with their money. It's just a think, slightly different you, thing. No, I don't think that's what the pet rock was. I don't think everyone was like, this is a great joke. Let's all get in on it. No, you're right. I don't think it is. But you're right. History is littered with people spending money on stupid the spirit, things. The spirit of that, <laughs> the spirit of spending money on a stupid thing is not going to die. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. So that's been my anecdotal experience, which I recognize is very, very just biased. And it's just my yeah. personal perspective. But I know from talking to other people that work in this industry, like it, my, my good friend Johnny is running a, a web service called Cushion. And he hasn't taken out a single ad. He's just written a blog the entire time about his process. And that blog has become enormously popular and sent him all the users he could possibly want at this sort of See, current that's, moment. That's my, my only point is that so you could that, call it advertising, you could, right? That's Matt? what I was going to say. Like you, you could, could call, call that, that advertising, advertising, but it's not. You don't hire an ad agency to do that. There's not an advertisement. Like it's not an ad. It's not an advertisement in the sense that ad blockers are looking at advertisements. It's just like there are a myriad of ways to tell people about things and to spread information. And that's what mm-hmm. the internet is really, really good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And advertising seems to me to be, by definition, like coming at it from this blunt perspective. Uh, and I, you know, I, I feel like. Another indication that maybe advertising is doomed is the way in which like television ads, which I see very rarely, basically like I go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, I see television ads and I'm shocked and appalled. But the way they've changed with the advent of the internet is basically like every TV ad is just now somebody trying to make a really good viral video and then put their logo on it and then put it on TV. Uh, Like no, no longer are ads explaining what's good about a product or explaining what problem it solves or doing any of those things that used to be the sort of foundational tenets of advertising, right? Like create an itch and then satisfy it. Now they're just like, it's a fucking dancing monkey and then the dancing monkey gets pelted by a water balloon and then at the end it says like Ford. Like it, it, it seems like everybody is just throwing anything at the wall to see what sticks, uh, which makes me wonder if nothing is sticking and <laughs> that's why we see such crazy weird stuff happening. I just think it changes medium. I think like you do see stuff like that and it's called Shark Tank and like it essentially is a TV show that uh, is basically functioning like a giant advertisement. Uh, We just don't frame it as such. I would say the blog post is basically an advertisement. Uh, We just feel better about it because it comes from a single person. But advertising isn't defined by the agency you hire. It's 
it's essentially just trying to announce to somebody your product or service or thing well, that you're trying to sell. This is something that I've been trying to get to the bottom of for a long time because I think it's a really big difference between talking about like the fluffy hand wavy idea of something and talking mm. about like the fucking industry of it mm. like mm. people talk about like you know i talk about how design is screwed up in x ways and people are like well everything's design man like i can go and you know like these old cave paintings are designed in some ways and i can go and make a make a treasure map for my backyard and that's design and it's like sure great i i totally accept your broad definition of design i too have a very broad definition of it but it's valuable to talk about the industry no one is worried about the fuzzy idea of advertising going <laughs> All right, away. Everyone's worried about yeah. the industry. The I'll whole, give you that. Every agency, every company that is built on it, that's what they're worried about going away. And that's what I'm saying is broken and doesn't seem to fit. Like, sure, the idea of writing blog posts, the idea of telling your friends about things, the idea of, you know, other ways of spreading information that you could possibly label some kind of advertising is not going to go away. And we can look at, like, what are the most successful advertising campaigns of the past 10 years i think of like the old spice guy right mm -hmm. i never saw old spice guy on a tv i never saw it as an ad i looked at him on youtube on purpose because they were hilarious like yeah like th that is that's maybe what advertising is going to be like you need to like sponsor some vaguely related if related at all interesting content that a bunch of people are going to see uh and then you're you become kind of like the ad within an ad right like yeah. you're basically like the NPR underwriter for some weird series of internet videos with a muscly guy saying funny things. Yeah. Uh, like, that's an example, I think, of very successful advertising in 2015, 2014, whatever. And, you know, the fact that that's also a pretty funny TV commercial, I think, is just a coincidence. Like, it works because it's something you want to see, and they're not even bothering to sell Old Spice to you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, all they did was just have this guy yell at you, and then more people heard about what Old Spice is, maybe, which maybe works, right? Uh, but I feel like that's what ad agencies are trying to do. Everyone's like, shit, we can't make an ad. We can't just explain why this is good. We instead have to like try and come up with some unique content or do something weird or crazy or unexpected because that's all that works anymore. Does advertising not feel desperate to you when you see it on TV? When you like, it does, like go that... home and like CBS is on and it yeah. fucking goes through three minutes of sure. like every every company's vine videos basically back to back sure, like it that feels very so... specific actually there's a there literally is a company here in philadelphia that just started as a, a guy who makes vine videos and then later got hired to do advertising because everybody is trying to do that in, yeah, in a specific that medium. guy is not an ad genius that guy's a genius at making six second videos that people love and want to share yes. so basically you just stick your logo on the end of it and boom there's your advertisement which you know Let's bring back underwriting on websites, right? Like, don't make an ad for the New York Times. Don't have a banner. Don't explain anything. Just let them stick your logo at the bottom of some articles or something, right? Like, that wouldn't have to rely on this technology of some external server and tracking and blah, blah, blah. It would just be, you bought the New York Times for two days and it costs as much money. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, I, I think sponsorship and underwriting is something that has been proven to work. It's kind of more the model of what podcasts are somewhat based on because I think we inherited a lot from public radio. Mm -hmm. Um and I feel like the only real difference there is that if you're sponsoring or underwriting something, first of all, you've, you're making some kind of statement that you love the thing that you're sponsoring, right? You want it to continue to exist. Whereas taking out an ad uh, for the Super Bowl is not saying, I love the Super Bowl, I want the Super Bowl to continue to exist, even though it's actually what's happening sort of economically. That's just, you know, you trying to make more money or do something. So I think there's that angle where it's like people don't sponsor or underwrite things they don't like, which... 
I wish everyone would, <laughs> would only do that, right? Would only sponsor the things they really love. I mean, so it sounds great. The one other thing is that that I have started to learn about that I didn't even really know about not that long ago was things like people wanting to do a Kickstarter and hiring an ad agency and you not even really having any idea that that was the situation. And then you find out, oh, this was successful because they hired these people that advertised this Kickstarter and you just thought you were paying money to a little tiny company. Like there's, mm, there's yeah. things like that that you find out. And you're oh like, yeah. They can oh. learn new tricks too. They yeah. too can learn how to put a ukulele track behind some fil- filtered video uh, and sort of talk about how groundbreaking some shitty product is. Like, I don't think the reason I don't think it's necessarily going away or that I think the industry is changing. I don't think it's going away because uh, all the time I find out little things and like, Oh, that was, there was an ad company that did that. That wasn't a genuine thing that happened. Which, to me, is evidence of two things, Matt. One thing is what you're saying, which is that these companies are not going to go away. And I'm not sure the companies are going to. But it's also evidence to me of the fact that the thing that we traditionally consider as an ad is so broken because ad agencies are doing all these crazy things we would never consider sure, advertising. Yeah. Like, you don't turn to weird, crazy, off-the-wall shit if your regular business is going great, right? Like, you, you don't experiment and do weird stuff if everything's working fine like it, yeah. it seems so well th- that's, it, it that's it part of me... it but when we're talking about like a totally new product on kickstarter or something and they never existed before this is just the world that we live in now i don't no, know no, no. i mean i mean the ad agency who's finding they can no longer get jobs to make whatever thing mm-hmm. has to be like shit well can we make kickstarter videos those are really popular how do we do that <laughs> quick get some young people in here that make kickstarter videos like the, it feels to me very desperate the amount of uh kind of i don't want to say innovation the amount of like experimentation and weirdness that's happening in advertising really feels to me like somewhere at some big tables some people are looking at numbers and going this is not working we have to do other things (laughs) we have to learn new skills we have to learn how to make a kickstarter video someone go buy a ukulele The other place I wanted to go with this uh, is that I there are a few ad networks that basically serve what, we, what you could label as ethical ads. They don't have any tracking information in them. They are just a way to sort of put an ad on a thing. Um, the Deck is one that people know of very well. There's another one called Carbon, uh, which also does very much a similar thing. They also have, both of those services also have rules about who can advertise on them, so they won't let Marlboro buy an ad on the Deck or on Carbon. And you also can't make some horrible ad. They have aesthetic values. They, the ad has to look a certain way. It has to only have so much text. It has to not have crazy horrible colors that are grading. They draw attention to it. Um, they're both trying to sort of solve this problem or a degree of this problem, which is that ads are horrible and no one pays attention to them and they're littering the internet with garbage. Um, but they're still using the same technology to serve the ads because it makes total sense to you know, otherwise, every time you want to change, uh, put a new ad on your network, you would have to have every single person push new content to their individual websites and organize orchestrate all of that. It's completely untenable. So the technology of loading content from your server is what remains even for those companies. And so I think there's been a lot of people going, hey, wait, these companies who are trying so hard to be ethical are also being blocked by these ad blockers. Um, what do we feel about that? And how is that sort of going to work? Um, and I think it's worth noting, while we're talking about sort of anecdotal stories, that we considered advertising on both the deck and Carbon when we were looking at advertising day's work because of those exact same reasons. But the reason we couldn't justify doing it in the end was exactly the reason why they're ethical. Like, the lack of tracking 
was completely a deal breaker for us because we like the reason we were running the ads at the size that, that we were at was not because we were confident that spending ten thousand dollars on these advertisements was going to equate to more than ten thousand dollars in the bank account after a certain number of years because of whatever metrics we were doing them as like learning exercises right like we yeah. were we were, we were going to justify basically spending the money to see you know which of these four ads did better which of, which way to talk about our product is more useful you know mm-hmm. what are these sort of things we can learn from this and when there's not tracking involved you can learn basically nothing like you like the <laughs> amount you can learn is dramatically limited so yeah I am sitting here as a person that blocks ads, that uh, doesn't like these trackers, that thinks that they're malicious and oftentimes very insidious, but also runs a company who will not advertise on the on the two companies that are on the two ad networks that are doing things ethically because we can't justify it. Like at the bottom, at the end of the day, we can't justify basically throwing some money into a pit and hoping that it works out. And if it doesn't, not having any information we've learned. Well, from and that. that's the tempting thing too, is that there's, there's so many things that you can end up tracking anyways, that's entirely in your control. Like if you build a website, you can look at the analytics to see what sort of traffic you're getting, how long people are staying on the site, uh, what platforms are on any of that. And for there to be like this, this black box of unattainable information uh, for advertising, like it, uh, just because you have the information at other parts of your property, it just it seems like a slap in the face, and it, like you almost de- no, you're right, it feels strange. Yeah, like it, it almost feels like you deserve all the the uh, information that could be in advertising. So it's like yeah. this really weird balance. Like, yes, I have information elsewhere that I can attain, and that's useful, and I can't get it here, but and it's a huge bummer. But I'm also a person that doesn't want this tracking to happen to me uh, even though i kind of want it for my business well that's the thing is i think for us it was like it's very easy to look at that tracking and go oh this is a gross malicious thing when you're an end user but we of course we're not going to do anything malicious with that we just wanted to make our product better and to figure out how people perceived it and to learn about the thing we were making and if if i could somehow whitelist all the people that were like me and my friends that i know and trust that are just trying to make great things i would gladly do it but you can't of course turn that switch on there's no way to measure that so it's very easy i think to look at those trackers and just see it as some monstrous capitalism uh, but we just wanted to like make a better thing and and do a better job at the thing we love and God knows, Days Work is not paying any bills. There's no, there's no capital. If capitalism was a, was the dominant thing uh, in Friends of the Web, we would have killed Days Work a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of sort of personal emotional investment there, and we just want it to work. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it's just there's so many angles to this that are interesting. And I just remember you know having the conversation at work and being like, well, we aren't really going to learn much by doing an ad over here for this pile of money. Yeah, really can't justify it, even though that's exactly where we would ethically and you know, theoretically align ourselves. So that's the other, the other side, right? Yeah. The other, and the other thing too is like people talk a lot about how evil that, how evil trackers are and blah, 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 blah. But like, I don't know a person who has a website that doesn't put Google analytics or some way of doing yeah. exactly the same thing themselves. Yeah. Oh, see, I do know some people that do that. Fair, it's very few. It, I would say it's few and far say. between, and it's just irresistible um, to, f- to, to know the information is available and to not find out is completely irresistible. And I, I bet a lot of people on this who are listening right now have sat on their Google Analytics page or whatever tracking thing and hit refresh watching people come to their site because mm-hmm. it is addicting to, to learn that information. Mm-hmm. So, sure. I mean, it's worth noting that the, the most famous person I know that does this is Frank has no trackers on his website at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Shamero. And he made a point about doing it. And I think for him, it was not like an ethical thing. For him, it was he knew that the temptation was extremely strong and it was very 
very much became a thing where he was like spending too much time looking at these trackers and he didn't like what it did to the way he thought about what he was putting out in the world. So he took it off. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if that'll be a thing more people start doing. I agree with you, Matt. Almost everyone does do that. Um, so yeah, my wife said didn't have anything on it back when it was up before it mm-hmm. broke and then I never fixed it and then I redirected to Friends of the Web. <laughs> do we have trackers on Friends of the Web? We definitely have Google Analytics on Friends of the Web. Yeah. That's the tracker. Well, and, and yeah, also, just, even for the show, like, we're able to track how many people or how many listens, downloads, whatever. Oh, yeah. We know everything about you people. Yeah. I specifically made a request to get Google Analytics on our site because I wanted to know. If I could know what minute, what second you press pause at, I would love to know that information. I want to know We everything. argue all the time about <laughs> what the numbers mean, how we could get them to be more accurate, what... Is there any way we can find out if this thing over here led to more people listening over here? If we could find yeah. out every detail of what, like, Andy posting a thing on Designer News or a subreddit does, we yeah. would absolutely and, want that and want to learn from it. And the reason that feels okay is because God knows we're not doing that so we can make more money from the podcast, right? Like, yeah. that is so far down <laughs> the road. We just want, like, this This is a good metaphor for any creative project in that making this podcast truly, honestly, feels like building a little wooden ship every week you and you the three of us sit here we build a little thing together and then matt goes off and he edits it and he puts all the finishing touches on and adds all the stuff and then we just push it out into sea and never see it again ever <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe while we're sitting on the beach going god i wonder if that ship ever went anywhere maybe we get one little bottle that floats up and it says like uh, a little quote from matt uh and someone retweeted oh yay the boat arrived somewhere uh, like like, that is what it feels like, yeah. especially with especially with the podcast, because the tracking is truly, uh, if, if you didn't get it, I was joking about knowing a lot about you. The tracking for podcasts is notoriously uh, blunt. There is very little information we can possibly have about people that are listening. All we basically know is how many times this file was requested from the server, which may or may not be a person listening to it, may or may not be somebody that is hate listening, may or <laughs> be somebody that listens to the first two minutes and turns it off every time. We have no idea what's going on. Actually, as far as uh, I know, it could just be an automatic download and yeah it could be somebody that depending their, on how uh, your podcatcher works yeah yes yeah, so somebody somebody died with their iphone plugged in <laughs> and their podcast subscribing thing on 20 episodes ago and they've been downloading every single episode and they're dead they're not even listening <laughs> that could be what's happening yeah. so yeah i mean it, it doesn't feel gross when it's just people wanting to do better at the thing that they love uh which at the end of the day i like to think that's more of us than it feels like but seems like so often people are driven just by wanting to take over the world and that's when it feels gross right well so i i'm also kind of curious to know uh i'm wondering if the ad blocker in the app store is going to be much more accessible to the normal person than like i I mentioned that ad blockers on desktop browsers were pretty easy to install and they Mm -hmm. truly are like if you google ad blocker uh and you click probably two or three buttons in any browser you will have one installed it's not challenging Mm -hmm. but you have to know to do it right like there is not an equivalent of the you know top grossing app uh in the app store on the web there is no one place where everybody is looking at some sort of scoreboard and just going to the most popular apps for the week and just downloading them to see what they are Um, i'm wondering if that sort of marketplace if like the Apple App Store is going to be the the real difference here, that there is a place where they could have a featured ad blocker, right? Like they could run the uh, the App Store, uh, Apple Editor's Choice of the Week could be some ad blocker, and then all of a sudden that's going to get, I mean, every app of the week gets millions of downloads, no matter what, basically, if it's free. Mm -hmm. So 
you've basically put it in the hands of millions of people that maybe would have never sought it out and now they have it. Um, so I'm kind of wondering if that's going to be a big thing. I think it absolutely has to be a bigger thing because it's just it, just by the fact that it's a curiosity, right? Yep. People are going to yeah. take a look at it because it's in front of their face, whereas Adblocker Plus or whatever the thing is you're using just wasn't there before. But I don't think it's going to be so accessible that everybody's doing it. I'll be curious to find out. I'm also, I also don't think that, uh, I think the idea of like modifying your browser is something both on mobile and on desktops that people don't think is a thing they can do. They don't, most people, the average person does not think about that as an option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, clicking around in some little boxes feels like you might be screwing something up. And one of the great virtues of the iPhone and of the whole iOS operating system is that Almost nowhere does it feel like you might be screwing something up. Like I think we've talked on the on the podcast before about how like my mom will experiment on her on her iPad. If something's wrong, she'll tap a bunch of things and try and figure out how to fix it. And she usually does figure out how to fix it. If something's wrong on the computer, I usually get a phone call because something's <laughs> wrong with the computer, and that's this sort of completely dense block of confusingness. And so there's a we're afraid you screw something up. So please let's make sure we do this right. Uh, and I think that there's a level of that that's also going to come into play, which is that. People might be more comfortable trying something called an ad blocker on their phone because it is, oh, it's this cute little square with rounded edges. I'll tap on it and then I'll go tap the things I like and it just feels more approachable. Yeah, so I was upset quite a few happy endings ago because uh, Matt brought up uh, Gone Home, which is a fantastic uh-huh. game. Yeah. Uh, and it was also, it's pretty well connected just in forms of genre and gameplay to another game that I absolutely love, which is Dear Esther. And I think we talked about it a little bit, and I've talked about it here and there. Uh, so obviously, like, I'm not going to go and do that for my happy ending, but... Um, oh, good, because Andy banned you from video games. Yeah. yeah. I said no more video Although, games. Although, I figured out uh, a way of getting He's around cheating. That. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally cheating. It's a video game system that I love. Yeah, bum, no. bum, bum. I've also done my it. happy ending is the Game Shark. Yeah, ooh, that should be one next time. Anyways, no. So I sat back and I was trying to figure out why I actually enjoyed Dear Esther so much. Like, you know, like there's so much that goes into games, um, aesthetically as far as uh, mechanics, um, like sounds. And I finally figured out the thing that really, really um, stuck with me with Dear Esther, which is my happy ending, which is the soundtrack at this point people should know that i'm really big into music uh really big into games and uh the reason why i enjoyed the soundtrack so much is like it fits the game really well and for any good soundtrack like that's a must but the thing that really caught me is that um the overall composition of the soundtrack is just it it stands on its own very very strongly like it has a very particular tone to it it's very well crafted it's very well recorded um the individual who composed and recorded all of it um jessica curry fantastic musician the thing i don't know like the thing that i really took away from it is that uh i wish there was more things like this that was part of a greater whole like it was part of like this whole big piece of artwork that was put into the form of a video game. But even if you removed out this one chunk, it itself is still like a standalone fantastic piece of artwork. And I think that's incredibly hard to pull off. Like if 
you're going to take the soundtrack from Super Mario 3, it doesn't really hold up well without the video game. And if you do that with the Halo soundtrack, it doesn't really hold up. But with this in particular, it just it it stands very strongly. So uh, I definitely appreciate it. And I hope uh, some people at least check it out, because um, as far as music goes for me, it's still uh, in a very tight rotation that I go back to at least like once a month. I will say this, Dan. This whole week, or maybe this whole past couple weeks, I've been listening to nothing but the Fez soundtrack over and over and over again. Uh And I think that's in a similar category. I think at some point I recommended all the Disaster Piece soundtracks. Specifically, It Follows and Fez. And um, yeah, it's it's cool when uh, it fits so well into its context, but also is such a strong piece on its own. I think that's a similar thing, but... All right, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this one a chance, even though I don't like that video game, or I didn't try that video game hard enough. I have it on Steam; it's just sitting in my account. Okay. Well, I'll go and post the link in Slack. Let's say something else. Oh, do you have a newfound appreciation for it because you had to write our music, and it's very hard? Yeah, I do. I mean, like I've started to appreciate a lot of those sorts of things because it's like it is supposed to provide a function. Uh, which is exactly mm-hmm. what a game soundtrack is supposed to do, because it's supposed to be complementary to whatever else is going on visually and, and mechanically. Uh, and with us, like, it was hard enough trying to get something that meshes well with like us just uh, just talking for an hour mm-hmm. at a time. Uh, but it's, like listening to somebody else just really nail it uh, makes like the pressure for me a little bit more significant because I kind of want to mm-hmm. do it at the same caliber, uh, which is uh, hard enough on its own. This has been On The Grid, episode 134. You know when you listen to a podcast and you hear the host say something dumb or wrong and you just want to scream through your headphones and correct them, but that's not how podcasts work? Well, instead of that, just get in touch with us. We're pretty available. You can find us on Twitter, at GridShow. You can tweet to us and tell us how dumb and wrong we are. Or you can email us, mail at onthegrid.co, if it requires a little bit more than 140 characters. At GridShow and mail at onthegrid.co. Thanks to Dan for the interlude music, Glassboy for the ad music, girlfriends for the theme music and finally thanks to you for listening until next week so we solved why andy can't rap and has nothing to do with his rapping skills at all I think, I mean, I'm one of these people, call it arrogance, call it whatever you want, that believes that if I wanted to get really good at something, I think I could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think if I really wanted to get good at the technical skill of rapping, I think I would be able to do it. But you wouldn't be able to emulate the rappers that you probably like the most and the things that they write about, and then you'd have to do joke raps. Exactly. What, what, we, just, what we just said off mic before we started recording was that I, I realized and had a conversation with myself at one point where I was like... I know you love rap music, Andy, and I know that you love making your own version of everything that you love, whether that's design work, podcasts, uh, furniture. You love doing that, but this is a thing that you can't possibly make a version of. It's just not, it won't be the same thing. What you love about it is not emulatable by somebody with my experience, I don't think. That's how you end up with fucking Asher Roth. Like, there's no way I could make rap and not be Asher Roth, right? Yeah. I guess the pro, like, 
I, c- I never could enjoy him, though. There's no way. Yeah. So we started this conversation with Little Dicky, right? I'd, pro- I'd probably be more like Little Dicky than Asher Roth, I think. Because I, I don't have the frat culture thing, which was what Asher Roth seems to hang his whole life on. Yeah. And I guess, well, here's the thing. I've heard his music, and then later it's been brought up, brought to my attention that maybe he's a little bit more technically skilled than I might have thought when he had that beer rap song, whatever that was called. I Love College. Yeah, yes, that one. You know, beer rap. It's called I Love College. <laughs> And let me tell you, he's not about talking. He's not talking about loving classes. <laughs> uh, you know who? You know who else I'd probably be close to if I actually tried to rap? Uh, embarrassed? I'd probably be close to like a early Macklemore too, probably. I think that seems fair. And these are all things. These are all things I do not want to be. No, and actually, like, he seems like very much like a guy who just couldn't accept that he can't have the same cultural touch points as maybe some of the people that he loves. Well, so he actually has some earlier songs. So for, we should... The reason I know enough about these horrible rappers is that uh, <laughs> I had to go through this phase to get to where I am now, which is liking actual rap music, where I liked everything that still somewhat resembled what I knew, which was like alt-rock, indie rock, white people music, and had some elements of rap that sort of started to get me interested in the genre. Mm-hmm. And this primarily took its form uh, with things like the Hood Internet and other mixtapes that would take rap songs and take indie rock songs and mash them up. Uh, I still enjoy this music to a certain level to this day, but that was very much like my, my gateway drug into actual rap music. Uh, and this also included a bunch of very bad rappers that I am ashamed of. It is... Even more than the Dave Matthews band and then all the jam bands I listened to when I was in high school, this is the period of my life musically that I'm most embarrassed of when I actually did listen to a good bit of Asher Roth and early Macklemore and uh, rappers like, uh, oh God, I forgot other names, Hoodie Allen and uh, what was the other one I really liked for a little while there? Oh, uh, B.O.B. was also in that phase too. You know, bad rappers. Sure. So anyway... There's actually some early Macklemore where he talks a little bit about the fact that he's coming from a different perspective and actually seems to address the issue of context in his music and the fact that he is a rapper in a mm-hmm. way that is seemingly somewhat thoughtful. And then it seems like he figured out that, that was not the way to sell albums and instead he should just rap about thrift stores, which if you were to write down rap music about thrift stores on a card, somebody <laughs> sitting in a, in a room would say that this guy over here, Andy Mangold, is the target audience for that. Like, this just matches up perfectly, but I am not because it is, is bad rap music. Sure. I, I think he's probably bad at shopping at thrift stores, too. I'm going to go out here and say it. Does that mean he's bad at shopping at thrift stores because it's just a gimmick? Or <sighs> yeah. because... He probably go. Here's what Macklemore does at a thrift store. I bet he goes in and picks out some, like, alligator leather belt, which is actually made of, like, reconstituted fake leather. And he's like, isn't this novel? And then Mm -hmm. probably goes and gets some like ratty old varsity jacket uh, from like a high school football team with somebody else's name on it, which that's fine if that's what you want to do. But it's not what I love about thrift stores. Well, obviously, you have to follow up with what you love about thrift stores. I should make my own diss thrift store track where I I diss Malcolm Moore. And instead of dissing his rap skills, I diss his tastes in thrift goods. I think you should try it. Yeah. Start a beef. You could make a genuine rap song. The lyrics could come from the heart, and it could also still be a diss track. I got a lot to say about thrift shopping, so I, I could definitely write a, a song or two. That could be a whole EP right there. Mm-hmm. And then one day, a baby Andy will grow up and listen to that song 
and then later disown it because of how bad it was and learn to listen to good music. I'm trying to be grateful to, for that moment in my life because it got me to the music I love now, which mm-hmm. where I am right now in my myopic perspective is great. I love his music. I'm so glad I love it now because I feel like it's taught me a lot of things and made me more interesting and whatever. But uh but yeah, so I'm trying to be I'm trying to have a little bit of respect for that phase, but it's very hard because Hoodie Allen is horrible. I I remember uh watching a VH1 behind the music about some some like 80s pop star. Oh, Chitty Bang. Chitty Bang was the other one. I'm sorry. I Chitty Bang was the one rapper that I listen to his album over and over again and now if you go back and listen to it it's it's just so bad really- so this this uh 80s pop star would get you know doing all kinds of drugs getting wasted and one night he gets totally plastered and takes his i don't know what ferrari for a spin with his buddy in the car and he crashes it and he paralyzes his friend and then in this vh1 behind the music it's like the first time they've seen each other since that accident in like 10 or 20 years and the pop star is like, I'm so sorry. I can't believe something like that could happen. And then we never spoke again. And he's like, no, thank you for, for this, because it really helped me clean up my life. And it changed everything. So I don't hate you anymore. I feel like that's kind of what your relationship to that rap music is like. That's me and Chitty Bang. Chitty mm-hmm. Bang's driving the Ferrari. Yes. And you were, you were scarred by it, but it made you the man you are today. And this is part of why I think Kanye is so important to me, because... Kanye does not come from the same type of strife and hardship as so much of the rest of rap. You know, he was raised basically middle class as like mom's an English professor at a college and I forget what, what his dad does, but uh, he like did not have, he does not rap about selling drugs on the street because he never sold drugs on the street. Uh, he, ra- he raps about his struggle of people not believing in him. Yeah, exactly. So, so the reason why I think I have such a connection to Kanye is that he comes from a much closer cultural perspective than almost any other rapper that I listen to. Uh, so, like, he's basically kind of invented... A, well, I, shouldn't, I mean, obviously, he has the whole being a black man in America thing, which there's a lot stacked up against you. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, he, I think he's invented a lot of things that are against him uh, that he's kind of built up as these enemies for him to kind of fight, which, I don't know, is very compelling to me. I think that's why Kanye's great. 